0: So, I know most of you, and I think there's a few few faces I may not know, but I'm Isaac, Isaac Harkness, and I'm privileged today to to bring the Word of God. And we're going to be looking here, and you guys can even turn to the book of Titus. Um, We'll be looking at the very last passage. So, Titus uh, chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. Um, and I've titled this message um, Three Final Instructions That Further Christ's Mission. Um, So we'll be looking at these three final instructions that further Christ's mission. Um, So I just wanted to start out with with a little story I think might be helpful as we consider um, the point of this passage. Um, So if any of you guys know me, very well you may know that I um, come from a family of guys I have three brothers and um, no sisters so it's a very there's a lot of testosterone in my family <laughs> and um, we're not always the most empathetic but um, we have a very gracious mother um, and so just as I like one one thing uh, one thing is that in that is um, my my brothers and my father do a lot of work with vehicles, so we have like a little, we have a lot of tools and kind of a little shop area, and so um, it's brought my, my dad a lot of joy over the years to kind of do his own work on, um, on vehicles, and so they have just this strong um, mechanical background, and they've done a lot to keep our, our vehicles up and running well. Um, I myself am learning to do these things, however, I'm not as gifted in that area, so it's kind of a a crash and burn, Um, but but I'm getting there. Um, However, as I was thinking about cars and vehicles and all the projects that happen with that, there's one very ambitious project that we've actually never done, um, and that is um, a classic car restoration. I don't know if many of you guys are familiar with... um, when a, a very talented or gifted uh, person will take an old and pretty much useless vehicle that was that's kind of got a classic look from like the '50s or something from a certain era, and they'll it, it's usually like completely run down, really decrepit, doesn't work at all, and they'll take that and over time restore it to beauty and to usefulness. Um, now. You ladies, cars may not be as beautiful, but I hope you'll hang in for the illustration. Um, but one thing I was just thinking about as as I thought about this um, is like it's they often replace every every major part, and it has to be done really well for it to be to be a good effort. Um, but when this is complete, um, the person who's finished it has a special vehicle. Uh, to drive, and what was once broken and ugly is now beautiful and useful. However, uh, imagine if this restored vehicle, um, which is now so, so lovely to look at, um, was just left to sit in the garage that it was restored to. Imagine if it was never actually used again, um, something which, which has now been set up to, to bring value and to provide great use. Imagine if it just sits there. And um, I mean, it may look nice, but but the purpose um, of that is for it to be to be used to to take people around. Um, and I, to me, this this would be a sad um, a sad situation. And the reason I give this illustration is um, is I believe we're we're going to see the same type of thing in our passage today. Um, we who are saved in Christ are not saved not renewed to sit in the garage. Um, We are saved um, for a purpose, and that purpose is to grow in godliness and to do do good works. Um, When God pours his grace out on us who believe in him, he saves us unto the good works he has prepared for us. He gives us the privilege to be useful to him. Um, Paul actually hammers um, the theme of good works throughout uh, the epistle of Titus. So it's clearly important that we understand this priority to Christ. Godliness, or good works, is actually mentioned at least nine times in this three chapters. So it's one of the major themes, something we really need to make sure we grasp as we finish up this epistle. Um, One question I just wanted to ask, as we're kind of looking to review, and, and maybe you guys can help me out here, is um, thinking back over the semester on what we've studied about Titus, um, what are some reasons the Apostle Paul gives us that we should be devoted to good works? What are some things that, um, why why should we be devoted to good works? Yeah, following Christ's example. So like, yeah, we look at, um, we'll actually talk about Philippians 2, like he was the one, who gave himself up for us. He went to the cross. He was submissive. So absolutely. Um, yeah. Any other reasons why we should be devoted to good works? It will help other people as well. It will. Yeah, how so? So when you're doing good works, other people will see your example and be encouraged to do it. Yep. So doing good works, sometimes you do good works for others, and mm-hmm. that just helps them as well. Yeah, yeah, that's actually, hmm And... Yeah, absolutely, and that's actually what we're going to see in our passage today is is good works, part of one of those things is meeting the, meeting the needs of others. Um, and so just a couple other things I wrote down. Um, you see in Titus 2.8, um, Paul commands Titus to set an example in good works. So like, um, like David was saying, it's a model for others. Um, we know from chapter 2, verse 10, they actually adorn the gospel. So it's like the clothes, Bailey taught on that um, a few weeks ago. Um, when we live out the good works, it's it's like um, clothes that that clothe the gospel message, and when we share it with others, it it makes it um, beautiful, makes it beautiful. Uh, and then finally, um, and I think this is this is really the main um, thrust of of Titus, and the point is uh, ultimately just the grace of God, as we see in chapter three, is God has. He's poured out his riches upon us, and he saved us, and that changes us. I mean, that that changes everything. So those are all significant motivations for good works. Paul constantly reminds you and I of this godliness. Um, He gives us a lot of reminders because he knows our hearts. He knows that you and I are easily tempted to only be hearers of the word, Without obeying in faith as Christ calls us to do, we must receive the truth and ask Christ to help us obey him. We cannot follow him, we cannot obey him in our own strength. So, now looking today, um, we will see one final motivation for good works. And this is that God uses a healthy church devoted to good works to advance his great commission. This is a church, a healthy church, is a church that will be useful in advancing the gospel that they have received, and they will be greatly fruitful, as we will see in our passage. Um, On the other hand, a church that does not devote themselves to good works, a church that is actually unhealthy and selfish, um, will not be prepared for the Great Commission. As we look into, we'll actually, um, we'll look at missionaries and how how, in this passage, um, Paul commands Titus to send out missionaries, a church that's just focused on themselves that's not devoted to good works will not be will not be prepared for that. Um, so now I just want to want to go before the Lord again and, and pray for his help as we dive into this text. Um, dear God, I, I thank you for your word and I thank you that um, you have have given us this passage before us, um, Lord, it's so easy as we look at the closing of a letter, to think that we should just gloss over it and um, that it's we just need to get into the next thing. But uh, we know that all of Scripture is God-breathed and is useful um, for our instruction, and we need all of it. So I pray that you would help us to to tune in, um, and, and I pray that you would help me to clearly proclaim your word and that we would all receive it and grow, um, by your grace, grow in godliness. Okay, so before... Amen... Um, before we, we jump into the text, uh, let's, let's lay a little bit of background. Um, so Paul, Paul is, the, and as I said at the beginning, Paul's going to conclude his letter to, um, to Titus with three instructions that further Christ's mission. Um, each of these instructions to God's people and to Titus is a heart, underneath each of these instructions is a heart for God's kingdom to be expanded for the sake of his name. Before we jump into the text, it's helpful to consider um, Paul's heart and what motivates him and what will motivate us today to pursue these good works, which we're called to. So, I think, again, the main thing here is as we grow in knowledge of the gospel, which we saw in Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 8, we will become consumed with the advance of Christ's kingdom. Um, the glory of for the glory of christ 's name to be advanced for his elect to be called into the fold, and for a lost and dying world to know our Savior who gave himself for us um, and really it 's just for the world the world to be evangelized with this gospel and for churches to grow in maturity um, so what what supports this this motivation? Um, Let's actually go back to chapter 1 of Titus, and we're going to look at the introduction here and kind of review. Um, Paul actually gives, um, really, his purpose at the beginning of this book, and it's just really helpful for us to see that um, throughout and, and certainly with this passage. Um, so please, yes, please turn to Titus chapter 1. So in his introduction to the letter, Paul summarizes, um, Paul summarizes his calling from God and proclaims God's mission to save his elect through Christ's work by the preaching of his word. So chapter 1, verse 1 through, uh, through, um, chapter through verse 4, sorry. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, Promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and from Christ Jesus our Savior. So Paul's just going really over his purpose here, why, why he has, um, what, what Christ has called him for, and that is to proclaim the gospel, um, that the nations would be saved, that they would receive it, and ultimately that um, we see here the faith of God's elect, um, their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. Again, the theme of, um, of godliness coming from grace right there. So, And we see at the end of verse 4 there, um, Paul is proclaiming the grace of God to Titus, and that's again expanded in chapter 3. God has poured his loving kindness out on us, sinners who were disobedient and full of evil, saving us according to his mercy, to the praise of his grace. Um, And we see that actually expressed by Paul um, in one of his last letters in 1 Timothy 1, um, where he he talks about how he's the, he sees himself as the chief of sinners in complete um, need of the gospel. And that's something that that should characterize us. We should recognize that without um, without God, um, we are totally in sin and totally in need. Um, we are to revel in the wonderful grace, the love of God that has been poured out upon believers by the work of Christ, um, which has actually reconciled us to God. It's made us who were far off from God. It's brought us near, brought, um, given us the ability to have. Um, we who were full of evil, we who were enemies of God, a relationship with Him and right standing with Him, um, and it brings us new life, and then and then even a love for our Savior. It is this grace that produces the change, as we learn in Titus two eleven and twelve, um, which is a change from works of wickedness in three, uh, chapter three verse three to grace based productivity of chapter three verse eight. So Paul, Paul intended to communicate to Titus and to the Cretian churches that Christ's kingdom is the main point. It's what we need to get. And God's people, us, whose greatest need has been met in Christ, we must have our eyes open and our hearts stirred for the meeting of needs, of the needs of God's ministers and his people, so that God's kingdom... And his glory would be furthered and advanced. Um, and then again, we're going to jump right into the passage now. So um, let's look at, let's uh, please turn to Titus chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at the last, um, the last four verses here. So, And, and we're going to see here in these four verses, um, three final instructions um, to Titus and the people of, of Crete that further the mission of Christ. So, starting in verse 12. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help in cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All those who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Okay, so now now that we've read the passage, let's jump into these instructions here. So the first point that we're going to see here in verse 12 is instruction uh, for Titus' return and for further commissioning. That's instruction for Titus' return. And further commissioning. So, verse 12 says, um, When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Again, Paul has spent the majority of this letter instructing Titus in cultivating church health through healthy leadership, healthy relationships in the church, which is ultimately founded in a healthy gospel. So now, in this passage, Paul desires for Titus to come to him for more ministry opportunities. We don't have specifics in our current passage about Paul's plans. However, we do know that he is toward the end of his ministry. Paul's primary charge from Christ was to carry the gospel to the Gentiles, and his desire was to proclaim the gospel in unreached areas and to plant churches. We know from Paul's letter to the Romans that he was planning to evangelize Spain, and the city of Nicopolis, where they, where they would winter, would have been an excellent place to prepare um, while he got ready to move in that direction. We also know that Titus eventually went to Dalmatia to do further ministry from 2 Timothy. Um, Paul likely, in this time when he invites Titus to uh, come and be with him, he likely he likely wanted... To prepare uh, to continue to invest in Titus directly and to prepare him to take on further responsibility, as Paul knew that that he was heading toward his end, his conclusion, and soon um, it would be up to other men to to carry the baton. So Paul tells Titus that he will send Tychicus or Artemis to replace him to oversee the spiritual maturity of, of the churches at Crete. Now, Artemis is not mentioned anywhere else in Scripture, but he must have been a man of tried and tested character who could identify elders and instruct the people in godly gospel living just because he's given, given this post or given an opportunity here. Now, Tychicus, we know much better from Scripture, and you are likely familiar with him as Onesimus' traveling companion who delivered the epistle to the Colossians. Um, if you guys remember, we heard about that um, in Pastor Farrell's message on Onesimus. So Tychicus was actually his companion. Um, and he also, de- it's believed he de- delivered the letter to the Ephesians as well. He is identified as a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. In Colossians 4 verse 8. This brother was care- was clearly capable of faithfully ministering to the saints and setting things in order at Crete. I believe there are two things here that Christ would desire um, for us to see uh, from these from this verse. The first is that Paul and his delegates were consumed by the mission of Christ. That is the Great Commission. Paul is fulfilling here is fulfilling his calling that he presents in the intro to Titus. He is an apostle of Jesus Christ, and his, his primary task is to, to bring the gospel to na- the nations. And as he says in Philippians 2.17, to be poured out as a drink offering for the sake of the people of God. The other implication from this verse is that, Ti- that Paul heavily relied on other gifted men, like Titus and Tychicus, to fulfill the mission of Christ. Even as he oversaw their movements, so Paul knew that he couldn't do it alone, um, and we'll look at that as well. But that's that's definitely something to see: is um, is church leaders, um, even great men of the faith, um, truly great men, know that they need the entire body uh, to help and to support them, and that that from prayers to the meeting of needs and support, everything is critical for the advance of the gospel. So as we will so. As we will see from the next few points, Paul promoted the, faith, the ministry of other faithful men and worked to ensure that the gospel would be proclaimed and God's people at Crete would be taken care of. Pastor Paul Lamy says that we tend to think of Paul as some super Christian who was on his own going from place to place and just getting all the work of the ministry done only by his incredible gifting. However, just as I said before, Paul knew that he needed the God-gifting of others in order to take the gospel to the nations. This is all over the book of Acts and Paul's letters, and it's clear in our passage today. Paul was calling Titus back because he had need of him, and he was sending others in his stead to proclaim the gospel and to advance the kingdom. Just as Paul made sure that God's people were cared for at Crete, he also knows that there are many needs that face the church body. And we'll see now in our next point that he wants to make sure that two of God's missionaries are cared for in particular. So now we will look here at, at the second instruction. So Paul's second instruction to Titus um, talks about two missionaries who are passing through Crete. I have titled this, The Instruction to Provide for Apollos and Zenus on mission or you could even say um, instruction to to provide for the missionaries who were sent. Um, Let's look at verse 13 together. So Paul says to Titus in Titus 3, verse 13, Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help in cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. We come across two men of ministry in this verse, and Paul instructs Titus to, br- to provide completely for their needs, an opportunity for the Cretan churches to contribute to the work of the Great Commission. So what do we know about these two missionaries? Like Artemis, um, Zenus is only met- mentioned in this passage of Scripture. We know that he was a lawyer, and the clear implication is that he was a qualified man of character that God had chosen to assist Apollos in some kind of mission work. Now, we know much more about Apollos from the New Testament. We meet him as he is demonstrating. We meet him in Acts um, 18, verses 24 through 25, um, as he is demonstrating to the Jews how the Old Testament pointed to the coming Messiah. Priscilla and Aquila, the husband and wife missions team, explained to him that Jesus was this Messiah, and it is likely that God saved him at that time. He was then greatly used by God at... Achaia to refute the Jews, and there had a pow- And then he also had a powerful ministry among the Corinthians. Um, one implication here is that we ought to pray for God to raise up faithful, gifted men who can labor in the harvest and be sent out to a lost and dying world. So, continuing in this verse, I want to stop and look at the high expectation of care for God's missionaries. Paul uses two descriptions to. To emphasize the attention Titus is to devote to equipping Zenos and Apollos. Paul calls him to help the missionaries in two ways. Number one, with eagerness, and number two, with completeness. I believe that if Paul were here with us, he would say the same thing um, at Boundless today. What motivates us to such level of of outpouring in in a sacrificial, unselfish way? I believe when we consider how Christ has met our greatest need for salvation, and when we see his love um, toward us, it will motivate us to support those God is sending out to extend his kingdom. God, if you are are in Christ, as am I, God has met your needs 100% through the giving of his Son that we might not die in our sins, but inherit eternal life. Through his death, Christ made us who believe in him right with our holy creator, When we are gripped with the reality of the gospel and believe it, we produce fruit that brings glory to our creator and provides us purpose as we fulfill Christ's desire for his people. We will now turn to our third and final point from the passage and look at the fruitfulness I just mentioned. So the third part of our text I have titled, An Instruction for the Church to Further the Mission of Christ Through Meeting Needs. So, an instruction for the church to further Christ's mission through meeting needs. So, let's read verse 14 together. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help in cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Again, Paul is saying here, it is critical for believers not to be stagnant in their faith, and meeting of urgent needs is important. It's of great importance. God, in his sovereignty, has chosen to work through us as believers to meet the human needs of other believers. I think that Paul is intentionally looking outward to the Great Commission as he reminds the believers one last time in this letter of the good works they are to pursue. One piece of this that we saw in our last point is the church is to devote itself to serving our missionaries and to meeting their needs in any way that we can But I think Paul really wants us to see as well in verse 14 that as we seek to meet the urgent needs of others in the body, we are advancing the kingdom of God. I'm getting this from the final phrase in verse 14. To not be unfruitful. Paul is concerned that God's people do not wilt like a tree without water, but grow to be useful for God to produce fruit that will last eternally. Paul has been telling us this the whole letter. He's been telling us that God's grace leads to godliness in his people. Now, if we just again consider the whole book, remember that Paul has given us what I like to call the greenhouse environment where God will produce godliness, which is, as we see from chapter 1, when we're under healthy leaders, when we're in healthy relationships in the body from chapter 2, and then when we hold fast to a healthy and true gospel in chapter 3 we certainly need this healthy environment for our growth but now we must learn to be fruitful individually and as a church body i think that the other side i think that the other side of the coin of this is titus 2:12 where we learned that the grace of god trains us to live godly lives it is good to be reminded of the work of the Holy Spirit growing us in godliness as we consider our own responsibility in this process. God calls us to put forth effort to learn to be others' focus, but he reminds us that he is the one at work in us to produce godliness. Coming from the selfish people that we once were before salvation, this will not be easy, and it will not even be possible apart from his grace. We are to look to the example of Jesus, our humble Savior, as we see in Philippians 2, to consider the needs of others and then to devote ourselves to such good works. We are actually participating in the building um, of Christ's end-time temple and the maturing of his body um, as we see in Ephesians chapter 2 and chapter 4. In the context of Ephesians, we, mi- we minister to each other by speaking the truth of scriptures in love, but Paul also believes the truth that Christ works through the various giftings of God's people to advance his mission to build his church. In verse 14, we get to see how God's grace in his people should lead to the particular type of good work relating to the advance of the kingdom, meeting the needs of our missionaries and fellow believers in the church. We and Boundless need the same conviction. Christ desires and calls us each to be fruitful. You don't need to turn there, but I'm just going to read Matthew five fourteen through 16 as, as what our lives should look like as fruitful believers. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven we need to understand and believe this, this truth if we are to share in the wonderful privilege of being productive for our Savior. Before we jump into application, let's review other tr- the truths that we need to believe that will motivate us to obey God. Knowing and believing God's heart and vision for his people will bring us encouragement and motivate us to walk in godliness. The first thing is that Christ wants us to see the picture, to know his gospel and to zealously advance his kingdom. Christ promises to build his church, and he even tells his disciples that the harvest is ripe and ready. The Apostle Paul commands us to watch how we live, for the time is short and the days are evil. Jesus wants us to know and believe his grace poured out on us, sinners in need, um, to love each other as he has loved us. He is the good shepherd and lays his life down for the sheep. He calls us to imitate him in sacrificial living and to consider our heavenly citizenship rather than our earthly one, that we may be devoted to good works as we are devoted to him. He wants to encourage us with his grace, the good news that he has overturned our formerly wicked lives, and now we have the privilege to walk in obedience to him. Number two. When we know and believe the gospel, we must come face-to-face with the reality of the Great Commission. The passage today and the command to be fruitful may seem like only an indirect way to fulfill Christ's mission. But in fact, a crucial aspect—it it is a crucial aspect of the mission that all believers are called to. By God's design, life in the church is wrought with needs. And God's ordained means of meeting needs through the church, through, is through his people, the church. Christ is also telling us that there is incredible eternal value to our creator and our savior in this. Just as he smiles upon us and blesses us as we grow in good works in these other areas, he also smiles upon us as we show our gratitude of having our greatest need met by supplying his servants. And now we overflow with his grace to be extended by us to others. So these truths will fuel us as we look to obey the command of God and learn to be fruitful for his glory. So now, just as we wrap up, let's consider some practical ways that we can come to meet needs in, in Christ's church. Um, so I think the first thing that's really important is we have to consider... Um, In one sense, this doesn't just happen. Um, There are needs everywhere, but if we just sit passively by and don't get to know others, don't believe this truth, then those needs will go unmet. And this is not something just for the pastors. This is something for all of us to receive as believers. God intends for each of us to look beyond ourselves and to seek out the needs in the body. And this is going to require an investment on our part. Um, this is re- going to require us setting aside time, um, intentionally looking um, to meet those needs. It's going to require us getting to know other people in the body um, so that we can actually know what they need and how, how we can help them, how we can, how we can serve them. Don't fall to the temptation that you and I are prone to believe. And I know this is something that, that I struggle with oh, we, we live in a big church, you know, someone else will take care of it. God has brought you and I to Timberlake Baptist and to Boundless, specifically in his providence, and he wants to use us here to serve our fellow members for his glory. So this is going to require an investment from us, but one thing that you may be thinking is, okay, like I get, I get that I need to pursue these good works, I get that I need to meet needs, but how can I do that? Um, what are some ways I can actually do this? Um, and I would say, first, practically, um, just number one, getting to know others, getting to know others in the body, and just learning learn, as you get to know them, you will see their struggles, you'll see where they're at, and God will put you in situations where you can meet those um, and not, um, not neglecting that. But then also, even just going to your leaders and, um, and hear it boundless and in the church and, and letting them know hey, I, I want to be one to meet those needs. I want I want to make myself available for this. And as even as we don't have um, exact answers, they'll they'll provide they they can help us provide opportunities. Um, an example of this even is when um, the past couple weeks, some some guys and I were given the opportunity to help um, an older couple in the church move. And um, it seemed like a very simple thing, like oh you know anyone can help someone move, but um, It was a huge blessing to them um, to come and, and as college students, to give our time and our energy to them. We may not have a lot of resources to give to people, but we do have time and energy that we can give to others. So um, take advantage of what God has given you in this season of life and use it to serve the body. So... So yeah, go and go and talk to your leaders about this, and just maybe another practical example as you're coming in on Sunday mornings. Just just be looking out for um, even like young moms, people who are who have a lot on their shoulders. How can, maybe I can be helping them with their children? Maybe I can um, you know see see an older couple who who is struggling, and then as you get to know people, these things will come out. Um, and then just a final point, um, looking toward next week, is. Um, Prayerfully, Clay will be teaching us um, on hospitality, actually, as we see um, uh, college students returning for the semester and um, hopefully lots of lots of new faces. And this is a huge opportunity to meet needs in the body, um, is to show the love of Christ, um, who has welcomed us in, is to welcome these students back and to, to serve them and to love them. Um, so just even just getting to know these students, um, helping them out, you know... Uh, taking them out, like, not necessarily paying for their lunch, because we don't have a lot of money, but even going to lunch with them or spending time with them. Um, these are all ways that we can, um, all ways that we can serve them. So, as we wrap up Titus, um, I was just reminded we have so much to be thankful for. Um, we can be thankful to be a part of a healthy church, um, like the ones that Paul commands Titus to establish. Um, and finally, um, as I close in prayer, I just want to ask that God would help us, um, that he would teach us the love of Christ more, and that as we believe the gospel, we would be devoted to good works um, more and more. So would you please pray with me? Dear God, um, thank you so much for your word and, um, and the precious truth that we've received today. Um, Lord, we we cannot we see this command, but we can't, we can't obey it without your help and um, we must be grounded in the truth of your gospel, the truth of your love. You've saved us, and now you've equipped us f- to be productive, and that's valuable, and that is, that is a privilege. So I pray that we would go forth today looking to meet needs and that you would encourage us in this and that you would produce much fruit. In all, the, in all these things, um, I ask your blessing and pray that you would help us as we go on to main service. Um, in Christ's name, Amen. All right.